so thankful that God is moving in this church. Um, so thankful for you guys. I'm also thankful for the way that you have allowed my dear friend, uh, Jonathan, to have this uh, season of rest. Um, it's not often that I will preach at other churches uh, because I am an anxious mess when I do that. <laughs> but for Jonathan, my dear friend, I will do. Uh, you guys have a wonderful pastor. Uh, he's been a, such a great friend, a friend to Queens, and we are so grateful uh, to, to do ministry with him. And with that, I just want to say um, that this sermon is actually kind of related to what you guys are doing as a church in giving Jonathan a season of recovery, a season of recovery, a season of rest. You know, all throughout Scripture, we see God using um, garden metaphors to describe people, right? Even Jesus, the, the shoot from the stump of Jesse. You know, we talk about uh, being branches that are grafted into the vine, that are pruned to bear more fruit. Garden imagery. And what's striking to me is that even with garden imagery, we, we talk about bearing fruit in season, right? The, the tree planted by streams, plural, water all the nourishment in the world, and yet even that tree bears fruit in season. There's a cycle to this, where we work for six days, we rest for the seventh. As the Israelites were entering into that most fertile promised land, even before stepping one foot into the land, what did God tell them? On the seventh year, you let it lie fallow. You let it rest. So the rest and recovery is not a sign that something is broken and wrong, but rather part of this healthy cycle of sustenance where we can rest, recenter on God. When we give our, our people a chance to rest, we're saying we're going to be healthy. We're going to be healthy. And I love that. I love that you guys are practicing that as a church. I love that I'm here to be a part of that story as well. Thank you so much for having me here. Now, one of the things that um, I want to talk about is this balance with work and rest recovery. Six days we work, seventh day we have rest recovery. And one of the practices we have as Christians to do that, to balance that well, is prayer. Sometimes we call it a discipline. Prayer allows us to focus our work, but then also to rest well, to recover well. And so the practice of prayer is before us today. Uh, three points, remembering the reason, shaping our disposition, and maintaining his vision. Remembering the reason, shaping our disposition, and maintaining his vision. So our recovery serves this purpose of preparing us with renewed strength, with uh, greater clarity to labor. And then the labor, if done well, will lead to a season of restful rejoicing, right? It's like after you've built something, you look at it, and you go, yeah, did that. And it's like you look at that work that God did, and you say, God, I praise you for that. You praise the Lord for all that he's done. There's a rest there. And that restful rejoicing carries momentum into the next thing that we do. Right? So, so there is this cycle where we, we rest to work well, we work in order to rest with rejoicing, and there's momentum, and hence this rhythm, cycle. But that cycle can feel like a, a grinding wheel over time, if we're missing the most important reason why we live. And I don't need to say that to any of us here because we're in New York. The week is a grind, right? We, we talk about midweek humps. We talk about all kinds of ways in which it's draining for us to live as followers of Christ. 
We need a vacation from our vacation. Ain't that the truth? The grind. It can feel like a grind when we miss the most important reason for why we live. What would you say, my friends, is the most important reason? Here, Jesus says it's our relationship with the Father. And so the first word of this prayer is, Father. And it was quite radical for Jesus to do that. For us to be taught to relate to God as our personal Father. Father. The prayer Jesus taught us centers that truth. Our prayer doesn't jump into things we need or the developments we want to see. Our prayer starts with, sits with, breathes deeply this formative truth that God is our Father. Without it, the life we live for Jesus can feel like nothing but a burden. The loneliness is heavier. The temptations louder to work for that elusive sense of approval or acceptance to be good enough to receive that smile to be healed of shame and it'll never be enough it'll never be enough the things that we do for that because the reality is if we can do anything to earn it we can do something to lose it and so the anxious toil remains slowly crushing us. I often catch myself drifting like this too. I pray for the many things I'm working on, the burdens that I'm carrying. I pray for the people I'm caring for. I am in the kitchen working on things to serve Jesus. I am Martha. And Jesus has to remind me that Mary chose the better thing by sitting before Jesus. And I remind you that that was the passage that chapter 10 ended with before this prayer passage in chapter 11. That's in the backdrop. Take it for what you will, but for me, there's, I think there's a connection there. That sometimes we are often so quick to pray for the meal we are preparing, for the work that we are doing, and not just pray to spend time with Jesus or with the Father. Who is closer to the Father than our Lord? And yet here, in verse 1, he's praying to the Father. And if my Lord can find, if our Lord can find reason to pray, to spend time with his Father, so should we. Where are you this morning? Are you busy in the kitchen? praying, God, help me do that thing? Or do you find yourself sitting with your Lord, just being loved by the Father, your Father? Where do you find yourself this morning? But you'll say, but, but Dave, doing good work, serving, isn't that necessary? Isn't that good? No one is saying it's not necessary or good. Of course it's necessary to serve. Of course it's necessary that our faith should produce fruit. But tell me, isn't the work, the, the, the fruit, like a house to be built on solid rock, not sand? 
And so our labors for the Lord should be built on the relationship we have with God as our Father, not because we're trying to earn our way to acceptance. You can do the right thing for all the wrong reasons. And here our prayers are centered on this, the gospel. He is our Father. Profound. Profound is this invitation for us to recenter ourselves, to remember the reason He is already our Father. He's not a taskmaster who is never satisfied with our output. He is a Father who already loves us. Sometimes we go to God like we are a cog in a machine, a means to an end. He's got me here so he could get something out of me. My friends, the gospel speaks completely against that. He doesn't use us for an end. He went to the ends for us. He sent his son to the end, to the end of life itself, to the cross to die. Not while we were chasing him, not while we were working on something good. He he went to the cross. Jesus died for us when the only wage for our labor was death. We were running hellbound away from him breaking his commandments, rejecting him. And it is in this moment that our Lord, by his unsearchable pleasure, decided to love us unchangeably, perfectly. And when I say perfectly, I mean he's already seated you in the heavenly places. And I I tell you, our God is not that kind of host who misseats people. He doesn't go and prepare a room for you and say, oops, I made a mistake. Ephesians 2, we are already seated with him in the heavenly places. Your father has seated you in his house, and he's saying, I am your father, and I became that for you when you were, you, you wanted nothing to do with me. I did that for you. That is our Lord. That is our God. Jesus went to the cross so that we would be brought into the household of his Father. So that we would be restored, saved from our sins. That we would call upon God as our Father. We are his children. And as his children, we have already received a gift that all the treasures of the world combined would not be able to purchase. The Holy Spirit, it says in verse 13. If he would give you his spirit, what will he withhold? I ask you, what more can the Father do for you that he has not already done to show you that he loves you What more could he possibly do? We go through such suffering in life, and suffering, you know, by itself has no meaning attached to it. We don't know why. Not every event has meaning attached to it that, we, we, that, that is given to us. We search for meaning, yes, but the search may continue. But there are events in history that have meaning attached to it, explained to us by God. 
I speak of one that happened 2,000 years ago. An innocent man went to the cross and died. And the meaning is Jesus, the Son of God, died for our sins because he loves us. Because God, the Father, loves us and sent us his Son so that we would be loved by him. That's meaning that we could hold to. When life is unclear, we hold to that which is clearer, and the clarity of the gospel speaks to our lives, and it tells us the reason for why we live. We are his children. It is the light of this love that even colors the way we repent of sin. This prayer includes a repentance of sins. But notice something. In four chapters, Luke will share what is perhaps the most famous parable that Jesus ever shared, the parable of two sons who disregarded their father in different ways. The young son, having asked for his inheritance, basically wishing his father was dead, only to go off and squander it in return. And you know how the story goes. He, he, he prepared, he, he prepared a, a, a word to share with his father somehow that he would work for a semblance of renewal, just to be back in the house, back in his father's house, to work for his renewal. And as he's, as he's explaining to his father why his father should take him back in, the father interrupts him. Doesn't want to even hear the rest of it. Puts a robe on him, a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, says, let's prepare for a celebration. And I... I tell you, I wonder if in that moment he did not realize more deeply what sin had robbed him of. Why do I say that? Because he didn't just run from a father who withheld his inheritance. He ran from a father who, after he has stolen the inheritance, would give him more. Love The love of God our Father makes us know how much sin has actually robbed us. And so it says in Romans, it's his kindness that leads to repentance. It is the kindness of God our Father and his love for us that makes us know who we are and how far that sin is from God our Father. So we put it off. But what's animating, whether what's animating the, the life we live in labor or in putting off sin? It's the love of God, our Father. This prayer is to our Father, reminding us of our Father. Let's go further. It's one thing to hear that God is our Father. It's quite another thing to call upon God as our Father. In prayer. If you've ever been through a season where you don't doubt that God is your Father, but it's really hard to pray, you know what I'm talking about then. It's quite common. If you're feeling like that's what you're going through, you're not alone. There are so many seasons where we, we know God is our Father, but it's so hard to pray. Those are two very different things. There's a need to learn afresh. Say, as the the disciples do to Jesus here, teach us to pray. The disciples know how to pray. 
They've seen Jesus pray before. But here they ask Jesus, teach us to pray. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Proverbs 13, verse 12. We sometimes avoid prayer and asking for things because we're more afraid of our heart feeling sick. Disappointment that comes when the prayer is not answered right away. We pray for things and God doesn't answer right away and oh, the sickness of the heart is real. I'm nauseous right now, so I know what I'm talking about. Thank you. But the way to guard our hearts is not by avoiding supplication. The way to guard our hearts is not by avoiding asking God for what we need. Without supplication, our hearts are warped, twisted, mangled. Who here would look at a child who never asks his father for anything and say, wow, that child is doing well in life? No one. No, we look at the child who asks his father for anything and everything, even though it's outlandish, and we go, that's a secure child. Because he can ask for anything. What am I saying about us? To be a child is to ask God for things that we need. The heart that has learned to never ask is not protected. No, it resides in a box without light, without love, and is warped. So we say with the disciples, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, knowing the how much moreness of the Heavenly Father. Now consider how extensive this shaping of our disposition is. Our, dis- our natural disposition is to slide into anxiety. It does feel like that, doesn't it? You just let it be and it just slides into anxiety. You don't even need to push it, it's just rolls like really well-greased castor oil wheel castor wheels slide add more things to it slides more and there's a reshaping that needs to take place through prayer lord teach us to pray to rest on you and the disciples are here asking to learn to pray in luke 5 jesus calls his disciples And in Luke 6, it says he prayed all night before he chose the 12. I can't say it again. They knew Jesus prayed. They experienced that prayer. Right? Like if there was a time to ask Jesus how to pray, it was that night. Right? Like the man was praying all night. (laughs) All right, tell me what's up. (laughs) Because I'd be praying like, Jesus, uh, help me. Amen. Like, I don't, I don't have a lot to say, you know? But he prayed all night, so he must be doing something. Show me. <laughs> but that, that's not when they asked. They asked here. 
Also, in chapter 9, Jesus sent the disciples out and they experienced an amazing move of God's Spirit. They came out, they came back, and they reported to Jesus. They're glowing. They experienced the hand of God at work. That's chapter 9. In chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 72 disciples. And then they again experience an amazing move of God. And then in chapter 11, they ask to learn to pray. Y'all following me? Are we really thinking they didn't know how to pray? (laughs) No, what's happening there? They're saying, we want to learn more deeply. Pray. But I love that because they're not going, hey, look at all that I did for Jesus. I don't need to pray. They said, Lord, like if this is going to keep happening, we need to know how to pray. And so here's this timing, this maturity to know that they need more prayer, not less. And then the shaping of their disposition to pray includes not just themselves, there's a broadening of scope as well. They're learning to pray for others, not just themselves. And praying for our daily bread, the emphasis falls on us and hour before it falls on daily bread. Look at that prayer again. The emphasis falls on us and hour before it falls on daily bread. Yes, we need every day for God to sustain us, but we are praying for each other's sustenance alongside our own. Our bread. Give us what we need. And notice this, immediately following the teaching on prayer, Jesus gives us a story, verses 5 through 9. And what can you tell me about this story in verses 5 through 9? If Jesus wanted to tell us a story about us asking for our own bread, then the protagonist in the story would have been the visiting friend who needs bread. But no, the protagonist in this story is the hospitable friend who receives the visitor. He he don't have bread in his house. So what does he do? He goes to his neighbor, his other friend, and asks for bread for his house, for us. The story is about us praying for our bread. What a shaping of disposition where we go from sliding into anxiety thinking that we're alone in life to face the troubles that, 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 that scare us to then go, Father, you are there for me so much so that I can not only rely on you for my bread, I can pray for my neighbor's bread, my friend's bread, my church's bread and you will supply. And I tell you, this is the prayer our Lord taught us. We are not mistaken to pray for each other's bread. Prayer, in prayer, we learn that God isn't just giving us what we need. He gives us what our neighbors and friends need. He gives us a supply that is meant to be shared. 
How is the Lord giving to you that you might give to your neighbors, that you might give to your friends, give to your church? Prayer reminds us that God is our Father, and prayer teaches us to live as his children. And at the heart of being his children is to seek his good will in our lives. This prayer says, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. To seek his, our Father's will. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, after Jesus is baptized, you see the Spirit descend upon him and a voice out of heaven says what? This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Then he goes the way of temptation like the sons before. Israel in the wilderness for 40 years, captured in Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. This is Israel who was called the Son in Exodus 4. Jesus now the Son in the wilderness. And how did the temptation go? If you are the Son of God, do this for yourself. How strange is that? The language of the tempter was, if you are the Son of God, seek your own kingdom. Do this for yourself. And our Lord's response to that was, if I am the Son of God, I will seek my Father's will. And he prayed for his will to be done even before the cross at Calvary. And we have learned as sons and as daughters that to hold, the, to hold God as our Father is to hold his will above our own. And we say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And as we understand it, your will be done. It's to seek his will. Of course, we pray for our, main, for, for, the, for our daily needs, for our sustenance, maintenance, prayers. But sometimes we catch ourselves praying only for more straw to make bricks and Pharaoh's kingdom is built. We pray for our daily bread and forget that maintenance is to provide momentum, and momentum has a direction, and that direction is the kingdom. Why do we rest on the Lord's day? So as to go out to be a sent church the next six days. Why does he feed us and sustain us so that we might live in that love and share that love unto others. God's calling for us is not that we would eat bread in a hungry world. It is that we share bread until there is hunger no more. Let us pray. Father, we pray that in prayer, in the practice of prayer, you would teach us how your love sustains us and then moves us seek your kingdom. Lord, we pray for New Hope Church. We pray for all that is prepared before them. Lord, we pray for their recovery and their work. 
We ask you boldly, Lord, that you, that you would bless the work that is being done here, the community that is gathered here. Lord, I thank you so much for New Hope Church. I thank you so much. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.